Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. There's no denying that energy drinks are very popular. The market research firm Euromonitor says last year's sales in Canada reached $1.1 billion and they're on the way up. They are especially sought after by teenagers. In the U.S., the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health says nearly one third of teens ages 12 to 17 consume them regularly. But there are some important safety concerns about these beverages. So today we are asking, what do I need to know about teenagers and energy drinks? Hi, Olivier. Welcome to The Dose. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, So before we have our formal conversation, uh, I'm going to tell you that I have had an energy drink from time to time. And I wanted to know, have you? Did I? I think I tried, yeah, may, maybe a handful of times, to be to be honest. Uh, and I may or may not have even combined it once with an alcoholic beverage, which obviously nobody should ever do. But I learned from that mistake and never did it again. <laughs> and and that and that energy drink just might have been Red Bull. It might have been. There was uh, there was a certain cocktail that that uh, one of my wife's cousins introduced me to once. So I did try that, and I and I have to admit that uh, you know I try I've I've had the odd monster from time to time. No sugar, of course. <laughs> of course not. Um, and and the smaller can, not the bigger can. I I just want you to understand that. Um, but I don't know about when you went to medical school, but when I went to medical school, there there was a thing that said. You know, this kind of unwritten rule that said, you know, if you really want to sit in the shoes of your patients, you should sometimes, you know, do what they do or as long as it's not really high risk. And this seemed to be one of those things that I could try so I could know what my patients were talking about. But we're going to hear, you know, the science, uh, you know, the 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 effects, the the side effects and, and the things we need to be concerned about uh, in a moment. But before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is tell us what you do and where you do it. Just ad lib. Yeah. Hi, my name is Dr. Olivier Droy. I'm a pediatrician, clinician, scientist at the Chu St. Justin, the Children's Hospital affiliated with Université de Montréal. And it's in the beautiful city of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Okay, let's begin our conversation. Let's start with a definition. How do we define an energy drink? It's not easy, surprisingly. But what most people think of as energy drink is obviously a drink, so a liquid beverage that includes a certain amount of sugar, uh, typically defined as high, however you want to call high, and a stimulant, often caffeine, but it can also be another more natural, quote-unquote, stimulant, such as taurine. So it's really that combination of high sugar plus a stimulant, what makes uh, what most people think as an energy drink. And is is the common denominator caffeine in, in most of these drinks? 
It is. Uh, I mean, some some marketing around some of the different drinks use another stimulant and call them more natural as if caffeine was not natural, but we can always bring them back to caffeine equivalent. Um, so yeah, I think it's easier for a conversation to think about of them as a combination of sugar plus caffeine in a liquid format. Some of these energy drinks come in cans and some like in, in, in large servings and some of them come in shots. I, th- I think we, we should we should point that out. But let's let's stick with the caffeine for a moment. How does the caffeine content of energy drinks compare to, say, a cup of coffee or a cup of espresso? Yeah, so that's a very good place to start. It's a bit confusing. So let me try to put that together. I mean, the, the first reason why it's confusing is because obviously each each company has a different quantity or uh, concentration of caffeine. Second is obviously the size matters. So the bigger the can, the more caffeine there's going to be in the can. And the third is that just plain old coffee is not always the same between a coffee and a coffee. Like the amount of caffeine is very different. If you take a, a regular shot of espresso that your local Italian barista you know, will prepare for you, it's about 60 milligrams of caffeine. If you look up a big chain of coffee makers in Canada that starts with tea and finish with Hortons, their extra large coffee is <laughs> 330 milligrams of caffeine. That's five shots of espresso in your extra wow. large Tim Hortons coffee. So even for coffee, there's a range. But a small Red Bull to take the uh, the most common one, it's about 80 milligrams of coffee. So just over what you would expect from an espresso. The larger format from this brand goes up to 150 milligrams. So that's two and a half shots of espresso. The maximum content per can for energy drinks in Canada is currently set at 180 milligrams. So three shots of espresso is the maximum amount of caffeine you can have in a single can to be sold in Canada. So let's put this in in context, you know, based on your expertise as as a pediatrician, what would be the recommended maximum amount of caffeine for teens to consume, you know, in in a single dose in a day, whichever way you know it best? Yeah. So there's two answers. So there's what is safe and what is recommended. What is recommended is simple. The recommendation in terms of amount of caffeine that a teenager should take is zero. Uh, The American Academy of Pediatrics say that like energy drinks or caffeine have no place in a teen's diet. Extrapolation from adult data suggests that the safe amount is probably around 100 milligrams per day. And so that would be, you know, a double shot of espresso or a, a medium, small to medium size energy drink. Although, you know, that's a bit of a line in the sand. There's probably people for whom they will not have symptoms above that. And there are certain people that could have symptoms with this amount. The same way that adults sometimes, you know, if you take two coffee, you might feel very jittery and nauseous and have palpitation, where, whereas... You know, some people barely get up with, with two cups of coffee. So, so the 100 milligram safety zone or safety number is um, a bit arbitrary. And, and you know, I, I, I don't for a moment think 
that teens are sticking close to that. I mean, I, they're certainly not at zero. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I don't think they're sticking to 100 uh, milligrams per day. Do we have any data? Perhaps toxicologists could tell us. Do we have any data on how much uh, teens are consuming the, these days on a, a, on a daily basis? Because I suspect that there are a lot of teens walking around who consume far more than 100 milligrams of caffeine a day. So as you said in the intro, I mean, somewhere between, depending on the source, a third and a half of teenagers consume some amount of caffeine on a regular basis. I I just uh, looked it up uh, recently, but the Center for Disease Control in the U.S. reported that, and that's already like 12 years ago. I don't remember. I don't know why they haven't updated that. But 12 years ago, like very infancy of energy drink, there were already 1,500 emergency department visits associated with energy drinks in the U.S. And so bear in mind, A, that is very, very, very old data. B, that like you need to be to get that story from a teenager to be able to assign that emergency department visit to an energy drink, which many teenagers will not tell you. No, spoiler alert, not all teenagers tell you everything about what they do every day. Um, and third of all, the landscape of energy drink has, has changed quite a lot in the interim. So so it's hard to know what's the average amount of caffeine or energy drink that kids uh, consume. But if if you follow the money, given the amount of advertisement that um, those firms put towards marketing their products to teenagers, I would suspect that like a fair number of them, probably the majority of them, consume some amount of caffeine in a given week. And you know, anecdotal data suggests that when they do, it's probably more than one can. And so so let's let's unpack what that's doing to their bodies. I'm an emergency physician. Caffeine is a stimulant. It wouldn't surprise me that in addition to causing insomnia and, and jitteriness, uh, you know, nervousness, increased anxiety, that it's raising your heart rate. It would be raising a teen's heart rate, raising their blood pressure, perhaps uh, causing palpitations, uh, predisposing them to heart rhythm disturbances. If they, if they have a, a predisposition to heart rhythm disturbances, they could, they could develop an arrhythmia. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that's that's. I think the, the the big ones, other things that could present as symptoms, maybe not to an emergency uh, room, but uh, to definitely to a, a pediatrician or family doctors, or things like heartburn, diarrhea, or you know general stomach upset, anxiety as well. And for certain populations, certain specific population, obviously those symptoms could be even worse. So those would be side effects that you would or effects that you would expect in a normal healthy person. But, you know, if you start, you know, looking at the effect on children with either pre-existing anxiety problem, then that can definitely um, create a, a, a crisis. If you're talking about children who have a diagnosis of ADHD and already on certain psychostimulants, some of the effects can be exaggerated or like because they have similar mechanism of action than, than caffeine. But yeah, generally, the, the, the symptoms that we see are those that you mentioned. So jitteriness, palpitation, increased uh, heart rate, difficulty sleeping, and the like. You mentioned, you started to mention what you see in your own practice uh, with teens. Can you say more about what, what you've been seeing these days as the trends go up, as, as more teens, and I'm assuming more teens in your practice, are consuming larger amounts of energy drinks than they should? 
Yeah, so I think I think that's that's right. The f- the first thing that we do see is that we do see more when you when you ask teenagers about it because if you don't ask very specifically, they will not self-declare drinking those energy drinks because they don't think it's relevant to to the medical encounter. But if you do probe them, you you get a sense that a lot of those teenagers are using them, are using them regularly, are using them in increasing quantity. They are swayed by um, the marketing that increases energy. Many of them feel like they need it either for sport uh, performance or for school performance. They, they don't see it as a as a threat. They don't see it as a health problem. And therefore, they just go with their feeling. And uh, unfortunately, caffeine, as most uh, you know, coffee-consuming adults know, creates um, tolerance, which is that like you might be fine with um, with a certain amount of caffeine uh, on a regular basis, uh, but then comes a few weeks, a few months, then like the cup of coffee that was sufficient to get you up in the morning. Now you kind of need that second one at 10 a.m. and then maybe that third one after lunch. And so that's what we see in teenagers as well. Is that like they they start using it sporadically around um, sport events or exam crunch. And then um, within a few weeks, within a few months, they start using it or feeling the need to use them more frequently and on a daily basis. I'm speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. You said that you have to ask teens uh, in your practice why uh, why they uh, they consume energy drinks. Do you do that, and what do they tell you? So, to be in, in all transparency, I don't do that all the time. I probably should, but you know, as most people know, healthcare counters are relatively short, too short for everything that we should be doing. But definitely, it's they never say that. Like so, there's the there's the answer that they give, and then there the the real answer. So so they very rarely say that they do it to fit in. Although I suspect that um, social norms, as we call them, meaning like what you see other people around you doing, uh, is definitely a powerful force. I think you know if if nobody in your in in your group of friends drink them, you're probably very unlikely to use them. But if everyone else does it, you're you know, probably very likely to use them. Teenagers inherently try things and substances and behaviors. Uh, and if they're labeled, if those behaviors are labeled as not good for you, they are probably even more likely to try them. Many of them, I think, are, are swayed by the promise of those drinks, giving you energy, giving you wings, the promise that you're going to be somewhat a better version of yourself somewhat more productive, better at their sport or whatever endeavor they, um, they have to go to. So I think it's a combination probably and just plain curiosity that we see in teenagers. And that is not counterbalanced by a worry. I, I mean, many, many teenagers that I speak to are actually very surprised at their 
potential negative side effects. Um, I think they know well about the dangers of alcohol, dangers of tobacco, but I think many of them don't really realize that energy drinks um, carry some potential negative health effects. And and you, you mentioned alcohol, and I think it's worth uh, just touching on the point that uh, teens who consume greater quantities of energy drinks are more likely to be binge alcohol drinkers as well. Yeah, and I mean, like, we're getting into the era of multiple psychoactive substances and how mixing them blurries everything I just mentioned. Alcohol being a depressant, meaning that you're more like you're more tired. Many people feel the need when they consume alcohol to also consume an energy drink to kind of compensate that effect to keep going on a dance floor. The problem is that like you know there's some other effects that are additive. Um, you know, one being that both alcohol and caffeine dehydrate. They both make you pee more. Uh, so if more, most of what you're drinking in the night is either a Red Bull or alcohol, you're more likely to get dehydrated. But it's not clear which way the arrow goes, whether, you know, consumption of alcohol leads to more consumption of energy drinks or the other way around. But as you said, they're definitely go hand in hand together. I think it's one of the worrisome trends that we're seeing and worrisome patterns of consumption of those energy drinks that co consumption with alcohol. And these concerns over side effects, serious side effects, uh, uh, were among the factors that led the Canadian Food Inspection Agency over the summer to recall more than 25 brands of energy drinks because of high caffeine content. What impact do you think that kind of move makes? Probably limited in the short term. Uh, I mean, those products were relatively new on the market. It was quite obvious that they were above the um, the maximum that's allowed, the 180 milligrams of caffeine per can. Um, you know, they were selling around 200, 220 milligrams of caffeine. So obviously it's a good thing that it prevents those very high caffeinated beverages to be available. But that being said, as you mentioned earlier on, there's nothing preventing a teen from drinking that amount of caffeine in separate cans. I think we we might have limited somewhat the damage, but it's definitely not going away. I think the way I think about it is that we should use that landmark move to start a broader conversation about the role that those products have, how we should regulate them, how they should be marketed, how they should be sold, especially to to teenagers. So I think it's a move in the right direction. I think in and of itself, it will have limited impact. uh, And I think we should probably go at least one step further. So what are some of those other steps that you think that you think regulators should take? So there are different axes that can be thought of. And uh, many jurisdictions, both here in Canada, as well as around the globe, have, have thought of them. So I'm not coming up with new crazy ideas. But, you know, just plainly saying that those products should not be sold to minors could be a step in the right direction. We can think of taxing them, just like, um, you know, soda taxes, for example, have been proposed in certain jurisdiction and then use the, the money that's that we get from this to invest in public health intervention. I think the labeling could be also changed, you know, the same way that cigarette packaging has been uh, changed to highlight the health risk. There could be a world in which caffeine content is also labeled as being dangerous, especially for, for teenagers. There could be regulations around 
marketing to certain groups. So all those are potential options. And obviously that maximum content per can is set at the arbitrary 180 milligrams right now, but that could be revised also. So in the absence of tight regulations or an outright ban, teens, you know, I think we can agree that teens are going to get hold of energy drinks. What should parents uh, and teachers do? It's a good question. I think like most discussion about uh, risky behaviors in teenagers, I think coming at a place of listening, of curiosity, you know, genuine listening, I think goes a long way when talking to teenagers. And it might take, and it's completely okay that it takes more than one conversation. I think that's the the, the one thing uh, I want to I wanna say, and I, and I observe in my clinical practice. If the first interaction or the first time that you talk about energy drinks or you talk about vaping or you talk about alcohol with your teenager is to lecture them, as you mentioned, A, it's not probably not going to work. And B, the teenager will only learn that like, they cannot talk to you about this, about mm. this topic because you won't listen. I, I will answer questions, but I will not make strong recommendations or shame them the first time that I talk about a topic. So, so practically, I think asking the questions about whether the teenager drink energy drinks and also just inquire about why. What are they looking for? What is it, in which situation do they feel like those energy drink are quote unquote useful? And also try to elicit any concerns or any symptoms that the teenager has. And then you can later on in a second, third conversation, use that as a reflective tool. So for example, I mean, I would ask the teenager, like, are you aware of energy drink? Have you ever tried them? How did that make you feel? How often are you using them? Do you think there's any you know, negative consequences associated with them? And then I would probably leave it as that, as a first conversation. And then later on, you know, ask about continuous use, what our friends are using them, and then like ask about any noticeable changes or negative impact it has on their life and then use that as a motivation to change behavior. And the other thing that could work well, depending on your teen, is also mention the amount of money that's being spent on them to buy their product. So so mentioning that you know they're being manipulated, they're being lied to by those companies that seek to profit from them. That can also be helpful in terms of at least inserting a little doubt into the claims that those companies make about the effect of their products. It sounds like you're you're using solid criteria for for helping a, a teen figure out, maybe helping parents figure out if their teen is is using energy drinks despite harm. If you find that that's the case or they're consuming you know, potentially dangerous quantities on a regular basis, what do you do then? How do you, how do you try to get them to cut back when, when the alarm bells might be going off? Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's helping them make the connection between how they're feeling and what they're consuming. Often they will, they will consume, they will have symptoms related to their consumption, but they don't necessarily make the connection, they don't make the link. So creating that link, a smart teenager can figure out that like, hey, gee, if I drink this, I feel like crap. They're gonna try to cut. 
so I think that's kind of one one way. Two is reinforcing the fact that they don't they don't need that product and that they can do without. Uh, substitution is obviously a very important component of cutting back, meaning like already plan with a teenager. Okay, so if you're gonna cut back, so you use this, you use energy drink in this context, you're gonna encounter that context again. What else are you gonna take or what else are you gonna drink? And then the last thing I think that needs to be thought about is that the same way that if you're a regular coffee drinker and you skip coffee for a day or two, you're going to start feeling unwell. You're going to start having headaches and, and feel groggy. I think it's also important to plan that with a teenager that is consuming energy drink on a regular basis. You know, if you're, if your teenager drinks two to three Monster, Red Bull, whichever other product every single day, cutting, you know, cold turkey, if it's the teen's initiative, that could be okay. But like, it's likely that they're not going to feel great the day after. So maybe weaning down might be a better approach than cutting everything altogether from one day to the next. Wow, that's a sobering way to to end our conversation. But <laughs> Sorry. <important> again, <laughs> No, no, it's it's I think it's important for for teens to recognize it and and I think the important thing is that is that you provided some tools uh that can help teens and can help uh, parents of teens uh begin to recognize when their teen may be consuming too much and and when it's time to stop. Dr. Olivier Drouin, uh, I want to thank you for speaking with us on the dose on energy drinks uh, and the harm that they can cause. Well, thanks for having me. Dr. Olivier Drouin is a pediatrician clinician scientist at Saint-Justine in Montreal. Here's your dose of smart advice. Energy drinks are promoted as products that enhance mental alertness and physical performance. Teens and young adults are among the biggest consumers of energy drinks. Caffeine is a major ingredient, but others include vitamins, minerals, the amino acid taurine, and herbal ingredients. Some energy drinks also contain guarana and yerba mate, which are natural sources of caffeine. Some energy drinks contain amounts of sugar that exceed the maximum daily amount of added sugar. It's caffeine that leads to the big safety concerns. These include increased heart rate, heart rhythm disturbances, and elevated blood pressure. In children, heavy consumption can cause anxiety, sleep disturbances, digestive problems, and dehydration. The higher the dose of caffeine, the greater the risk. Also beware of prescription drug interactions. Combining caffeine energy drinks with stimulants used to treat ADHD can lead to further increases in heart rate, nervousness, insomnia, etc. In Canada, energy drinks can contain a maximum of 180 milligrams of caffeine per serving. Products containing larger amounts of caffeine have been recalled. At some point, you may want to talk to your teen about energy drinks. Be curious instead of confrontational. Ask things like what they've tried, how much, how often, and how it makes them feel. Also, ask them what they know about the potential harms. If they use them regularly, ask if they've had any of the typical unpleasant symptoms that we've talked about. Help them make the connection between side effects and too much caffeine. If they use energy drinks heavily and on a regular basis, consult with your healthcare provider on recommended ways to wean off. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Isabel Gallant. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. 
The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.